Well, I don't know if you saw in the lobby, but the trees are upside down once again this year. As you made your way in, I'm sure that you were uh, embraced by the warmth of the decor of the place, both here in Lexington and at all of our campuses, actually. The trees are upside down and the places are decked out. Well, the decorated uh, buildings tell us that Advent is here and that Christmas is soon upon us just around the corner, and it's just a wonderful, exciting time of year, time for us to be festive. But the trees in the middle of the lobby remind us that, because they're upside down, remind us that something is amiss around the season during this time of year in America. It reminds us that something isn't quite right. And so we find ourselves, once again, trying to turn things upside down, actually make things right side up once again to press back on that overwhelming lure during this time of consumerism during this season, Uh, to purposefully and creatively reclaim meaning during this time, and to choose a simpler and more satisfying journey as we make our way towards Christmas this year. It can be a challenge, can it? Uh, One blogger who was lamenting over our society's approach to the season noticed that the holiday shopping season, as it's now called, the holiday shopping season, uh, seems to begin earlier and earlier every year. And as it does, it sort of blends and blurs each distinct holiday celebration into one another. Um, Noting this cultural trend, she dubbed the season, Hollow Thanks Christmas Palooza. (laughs) How many of you feel like you're in the midst of Hollow Thanks Christmas Palooza? She goes on to say that much of society's sense of holiday celebrations has been so condensed that it's hard to even see what holiday we're celebrating and what we're heading towards. So I was reading this blog early in, th- early in uh, September, well before Thanksgiving, while I was eating uh, leftover candy corn from Halloween and sipping from a Dunkin' Donuts holiday-themed cup my coffee that morning, and I thought, she's right. Look at what's happened. What exactly are we celebrating again? I scratched my head. Well, I want to remind you this morning that we are celebrating Christmas this season. We're celebrating the incarnation, that unadorned story of a God who lovingly and sacrificially made his way into the world. There wasn't any fanfare or glitz or great marketing campaign, very little hype or hoopla. Just God in flesh come to restore relationship with all people and make right what has been broken. Well, if that's what we're celebrating this season, if that's what it's really all about, then then how cool would it be if we entered into Advent in a way that celebrated along the contours of the true story of Christmas? What if we determined, we're determined not to be held hostage by all the cynicism that swirls around Uh, And at the same time, not to buy into all the commercialism that seems to tempt us and and guide our our thinking so easily, but instead to choose to celebrate the season with sincerity and gladness and allowing the story of Christmas to mark the way that we celebrate Christmas this year. In 2006, a group of churches banded together who committed to doing just this. They called their movement the Advent Conspiracy recognizing that it is a, a, a culturally countercultural move that we're uh, choosing in this way. And we participated with them for the first time last year 
as we entered into the Advent conspiracy, you may remember there were four major themes to the movement. It started with spend less, move to give more, then worship fully, and finally love all. Spend less, give more, worship fully, and love all. Well, this year we decided, why don't we revisit the conspiracy theme? It probably takes a a few years to make new traditions take root. And so instead of making our way through each of the four themes, however, let's lean into one of these four themes and let our hearts dwell on that one just a bit more. And so this year we've chosen the theme of giving more. And we want to encourage each other to give more this Christmas We're not talking about giving more packages or presents or or gift bags or gift cards. Not more presents, but more presence. More of ourselves to each other. You see, there's no gift better patterned after the contours of the story of Christmas, that true story of God giving himself to us, than allowing ourselves during this season to be present with one another, to give ourselves to each other. And in the meantime, as we shift energies towards giving relationally rather than materially, we can scale back on some of the gifts that we might otherwise give and free up some of our wealth to give to those in the world around us who really do have material need. You'll hear more about that aspect a bit later. But as we entered this theme and uh, began to lean into it, our, our creative team here at Grace Chapel thought it'd be fun to play with the idea of giving ourselves as gifts to other people. So they got their cameras out and they went to town. Take a look at what they came up with. See how much fun it can be to give more this season? That's what we're talking about. 
And uh, if you're not too scared, the fact is the present guy, our present guy, will be making appearances at all of our campuses uh, throughout the Advent season, starting this morning right here in Lexington. Uh, If you want to uh, take a picture, snap a shot with him, and share it with your friends, let them know some of the things that are happening around Grace Chapel. That video also, uh, you can go onto our website and share that with others. Be great to, uh, to let folks know that even at church, we can have some fun. How about that? Well, the fact is relationships are more than just fun. Relationships are sacramental. They're a means of grace, a means of God's grace in our lives. They're an important channel through which God provides us with all the good things in life that he he wants us to have. And so we are literally God's gifts of himself to one another. So during Advent, we often light the Advent wreath, the candles around the wreath. And each candle represents a kind of gift that God gives to us during the season. Hope and peace and love and joy. And then finally, Christ himself. And so each week, we're going to explore one of these themes of Advent to see how how it is that our being present with each other allows God to bring these things into our lives with one another. And so today, on the first week of Advent, we begin with hope. We heard the story of Zechariah uh, recited earlier in the service. It's found in uh, Luke chapter 1. If you'd like to open there and follow along, we won't be reading it again, but uh, we'll revisit that story as we go. But before we turn to the story of Zechariah, I wonder if you can remember a time when you were hope-deprived. When you were hope-challenged, a time when you, you felt desperate for something in your life that, that wasn't panning out. Maybe when you looked out to your future and you just didn't know what the path forward was going to be like anymore. Life wasn't going as, as you'd planned on it going. When things seemed bleak and when you, you were running out of options. Remember a time like that in your life and keep that in mind as we make our way through Because actually, that's where Zechariah found himself, the priest that we heard about in Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25. And what I like about the Zechariah story is that it is, it's gritty and it's honest. Now, here's an old man, a priest at the pinnacle of his career, and he's, he's charged all his life to keep the law and to teach the law and to perform religious duties of all kinds, a constant reminder of God's connection with his people. And on this day, Zechariah has been chosen by the casting of lots to perform one of the most sacred priestly duties of all time. This wasn't just an ordinary worship service. This was, this was a huge deal in the life of any priest. As a matter of fact, it was a once-in-a-lifetime moment. The only time a priest could enter the Holy of Holies was on the Day of Atonement, probably the holiest day of all on the Jewish calendar. And on this day, only one priest would enter the presence of God, and he would offer the blood sacrifice for the sins of all the people, and he would lay incense on the coals that were burning on the altar. And performing this role would have been the dream for every Jewish priest. 
But, but when we find Zechariah fulfilling his lifetime dream, no doubt, what we find is a soul that's weary, a heart that's loaded down with, with burden, a man who finds himself heavy with the hopes left unfulfilled in his life. Zechariah had hopes for his people, the people of Israel. Hopes that someday God would lead them out from under their living that they've done under foreign control. At this time of the story, Judah was a client state of Rome, ruled by a vicious and power-hungry King Herod. And the glory days of Israel seemed, seemed a distant, distant past. And the voice of the prophets, who had promised something better for Israel in the future, had long since been silenced. It had been 400 years since God's voice had been heard among his people. 400 years since the prophets spoke. And so Zechariah had hopes and longings for his people. But he wasn't only burdened by hopes for his people. Zechariah also had some more personal hopes of his own. Hopes that we hear about in the story. He and Elizabeth, his wife, had hoped for a child to be born to them. A child that never came. And in a time when one's inability to bear children meant that was understood as a sign of disgrace and even God's disdain, for this religious leader, it must have been especially painful. I can imagine early on in their married life when month after month they were reminded of their lack and their loss. And I can imagine their hopes eroded slowly over time until Elizabeth reached menopause when, when their hopes for a child must have almost disappeared altogether. So I wonder as Zechariah went into the temple on this most special occasion, what did he hope for more? Things for his people, the nation of Israel? Or was it his more personal hope for the birth of a child? Well, what I love about this story is how real it is, how honest it is, how relatable Zechariah is to each and every one of us. Because in that holy place steps a weary, old, hope-laden man. And there he was in the midst of his priestly duty. He takes the incense, he places it on the coals, and the smoke rises and fills the temple, fills the room. And then an angel of the Lord appears, Gabriel himself, the messenger of good news. And the angel says to him in that moment, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Listen, your prayer has been heard. What prayer was he talking about? Gabriel reveals the secret. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. Now, I don't know about you, but I love the fact that Zechariah was still in, uh, in the mode of hoping for a child, even in his later years, and that when he came to the presence of God, the authenticity about that hope leaked out in a prayer as he stood at the place, the very presence of God. He's got one shot. What does he do? He sneaks in this personal prayer, and then Gabriel comes out and he calls him on it. Gotcha. You know, here you are. Who are you praying for? Yourself and Elizabeth. Don't you love that? You know, I find myself smiling at the old man, but also 
resonating with him an awful lot. Well, you know how the story unfolds as it goes. Elizabeth does become pregnant, and she gives birth to a son. But almost immediately, the center of this story starts to shift from Zechariah and Elizabeth to somewhere else, away from their longing to become parents, now towards God and His greater purposes. God's deep desire to activate His long-awaited uh, plan to bring restoration and redemption to all the world. Now, it's significant that Gabriel asked Zechariah to name his son John rather than giving him his own name, which would have been the custom, Zechariah. It's really important that in this moment, the traditional convention of naming rights would have been set aside. It would have been like those of us who were raised in the West. Uh, if we had a child, it would be like us giving our child a different last name. The family connection and sense of ownership would be distanced. Those who didn't know this story about John would not have known that he was Zachariah's son. Well, we quickly learned that, that his real purpose, God's real purpose, is to pave the way for a greater child who was born that year. Because this John, we know as John the Baptist, the one is the one who prepares the way for the coming of the Lord, the coming of Jesus. And Jesus doesn't come to fulfill the national hopes of the people of Israel alone. But he comes as one who is going to bring salvation and rescue to all the peoples of the world, all nations of the world, every tribe and tongue. And so we could find a Zechariah who becomes resentful of both of those moves, but we don't. We find Zechariah becoming okay with exactly that. Because through this process, Zechariah comes to realize something incredibly important. He's learning that there's something better than hoping for. There's something better than hoping for. And that is hoping in. Hoping in. You see, Zachariah's hope for a child gives way to a greater hope. A hope in the Lord. And when Zechariah is finally able to speak, when his tongue is loosed and his mouth opens, what does he do? He gives praise to God in song. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel. So hoping in is better than hoping for. How about you? Are you hoping for something? Or are you hoping in someone. Well, if you ever listen to sports talk radio after the Patriots big game on Sunday, on Monday morning, you understand the difference between hoping for and hoping in. Now, just bear with me for a few moments, okay? <laughs> you, you find out that everyone hopes for the win, right? Some people are hoping for their favorite player to come off the sidelines after an injury and get back into the game, we hope for our running back to actually hold on to the ball while he's making his way through the pile. We hope for a win against this team or that team uh, on any given Sunday. These are all hopes for uh, as football fans. But when you listen to the talk shows, 
you, you pick up this strong underlying theme in a lot of the callers who call in. And you realize it's not just that they're hoping for something. It's that they are hoping in someone. And usually to someone's, right? Who are they? Coach Belichick and Tom Brady, our quarterback. And, uh, you know, and so no matter what's going on, put all the pieces of the game aside. And there's this sense that if you have the right people making the calls from the sidelines and the right one leading the team on the field, then you can get yourself into almost any situation and still have hope and confidence and not so much anxiety. Even after the game is, say, you know, 24 to 0 at halftime, you still have hope because of who you placed your hope in. Can I just say right now, you don't get this kind of talk when a New Yorker is preaching from the pulpit. <laughs> Does not happen. So I don't want to make more out of the analogy than is due either. But it sort of worked for me. When you listen to the psalmists who who wrote songs about what it is, songs of hope, you, you discover that 33 times throughout the Psalms, hope is mentioned. Only once does the word for follow the word hope. Only once. 28 times in the Psalms, what follows the word hope? In. And in who? The Lord, or His Word, or His laws. Hope is grounded in the Psalms, in a person and not a hope for a thing. Well, I asked you earlier to think about a time that you were hope-challenged, when you felt like you were struggling with it. I recall a time in my own life, Julie and I were a young couple. We'd been married uh, several years, and we had a hope for. We had a hope for a child that we would be parents someday. And it was a deep and uh, desperate longing as the years went by and, and nothing happened. And one of the hardest things about our hoped-for parenthood was to see how easily parenthood came to so many of our other friends who were in that same season of life. All around us, the people were having children. And the hardest thing about it was to sometimes go to a baby shower and celebrate or, or celebrate at moments like we had last week as children were dedicated in some of the services at a number of our campuses. Those are hard moments, and we... we, we we resonate so deeply with those among us who have a hard time at moments like that at church because we were hoping for a child. Now, during this season of our lives, we were blessed with some incredibly wonderful friends and family who, who were present in our lives during this season when we were hope depleted. And there were people whose presence continued to fill us with the hope that we were struggling to find. And we experienced the sacramental nature of relationship during those years. But what I so appreciated from our friends was the kind of hope that they brought to us. Now, first of all, it did include some of that hope for hope. People still longed with us and yearned with us that we might someday be parents. And they spoke affirmingly of that longing, that it wasn't a bad thing that was placed within our hearts. And they spoke affirmingly of our fitness for parenting, that we'd be good parents someday. But they never made false promises. They didn't come around and guarantee us that it would happen for us someday. They knew that God doesn't work that way, that He doesn't always give us what we want. 
They didn't say that everything was going to be fine, that it would all work out. And a few of Julie's closest friends did offer her some small gifts that reminded her to keep her hope alive, her hope for alive. Uh, Gifts of clothing and booties that she tucked away uh, and brought out from time to time. And as we prayed together, we learned to allow, though, our our hope for hopes to begin to be held more open-handedly. More open-handedly. Hopes like this aren't hopes to be squelched or subdued or, or, or done away with, but they should offer us a chance to engage in some deeper questioning. And so we continue to ask God, if, not, if we're not to have children, then what does this longing mean? And how might it be fulfilled in my life, in our life? And are there ways that our hope needs to be reconsidered or our longings need to be redirected? Are requalified. So our friends spoke to us of the hope for hope. But the bigger hope that our friends brought to us during those seasons was the hope in kind of hope. Because most of what people did for us was to remind us throughout our life and in these moments of the faithfulness of God. That God is from generation to generation the one who is faithful, loving, and good to his people and that he's the same yesterday and today and forever, that that is our God. And that if there's one place to put our hopes, it was in him. In him our hopes were rightly placed. He didn't provide us a particular outcome to any of his people, but he does promise us to be like a father who gives good gifts to his children. And so as his kids, we began looking around our lives, asking what good gifts might we be overlooking because our hope for is overshadowing other things that you might be doing in our lives. And so we began to see them in places we wouldn't normally have looked. During these years, Psalm 16 became very important to us. The psalm says that the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. So we began to trust God deeply that the plot of land that he had placed us in was actually a good, good parcel. And then I recall times when Julie's dad shared with us uh, Proverbs 21.1. We were sitting together and he shared with us this verse, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. And we were reminded if God is sovereign over all things, even the heart of a king, then surely he is still sovereign over our circumstance. You know, sometimes when our hope in God faltered, Other people's care and presence with us reminded us of the goodness of God during moments of hardship. Now, many of you know that the Lord, since that time, has brought children into our lives. Um, Some would say more than we can handle uh, from time to time. But we will always look back to that hope challenge time with a sense of, of gratitude and wonder and appreciation Because there are things that God can teach us in dark times that he can't show us in the light. And there are moments that we treasure from those times that we bring forward in our lives as well. Maybe you're here in a hard place this morning. Some unfulfilled hope is weighing you down. And you enter into the season of Advent and you hurt because your hopes aren't panning out. 
Maybe it's job-related or health-related. Maybe it's in the area of relationship that isn't going the way that you wanted. But it could be that you're here today and you're just gasping for hope. Well, can I suggest that in the spirit of how we are choosing to celebrate this season, can I suggest that you offer your presence to one another? Can I encourage you to allow someone else the privilege of knowing about the hope that you have? Maybe you've, you have trusted friends that you haven't shared with. Or maybe a life community that the level of conversation has been a little surfacey. You could give them the privilege and opportunity and gift of letting them know more about you. Maybe you have a fam- family member who you could share your longings with. One of the greatest gifts we can give to each other is the gift of ourselves, remember. Allowing someone the privilege of knowing you more deeply is a wonderful, wonderful gift. And so remember, relationships are an important means by which God can bring good gifts into your life. Well, maybe this morning you're not in a hard place right now, particularly. But you know someone in your life who is. This could be a perfect time for you to come alongside of them and to give them some encouragement, some lift during a time that's challenging. Uh, Maybe simply letting them know that you're thinking about them. Maybe inviting them to coffee. Maybe sending a note of encouragement through the email or text. Maybe asking them to catch breakfast or to send them a card during this Christmas that's redeemable after the craziness of the holidays where you and they can sit down and just share some time together. Maybe you think of somebody in your neighborhood. Somebody's just experienced loss or the death of someone they loved. Maybe you could buy them flowers for them and and not just drop them off, but bring them over and sit and allow your presence to be hope for them during a time of challenge. There are just any number of ways that you can bring hope. Well, maybe you want to help someone else this season as they bring hope into someone else's life. You'd heard about our giving tree, our Give give More uh, project out in the lobbies of all the campuses where we're actually partnering with our regional partners who minister to people in places that are often hope-challenged. Well, we have a chance this season to, to purchase some gifts to give to them that they can share with the children and families and people that they minister to all throughout the year. And maybe our gift to them allows them to share hope as they share themselves with the people in their spheres Well, finally, for all of us, maybe what we need to do is simply rekindle a hope in, a hope in the Lord. And one good way to do that is by allowing the Advent season to be a chance to give you a reason to reflect once again on the story of Jesus' birth. To to open it up and to read it together maybe as a family or as a group of friends to, to revisit it, to, to tease it out, to think it through, to let it settle deep into our hearts. Because that's one of the great things that this season does for us. It gives us a chance to remember the incarnation. You know, there are a variety of ways to do that, many practical reading guides. I want to uh, recommend one to you that has been put together by the faculty at Gordon-Conwell uh, Theological Seminary uh, this season. And uh, these readings start today. So if you go online and sign up for the Advent reading that they put out that's called uh, 
uh, Journey to the Manger, uh, then you'll get an, an email a day from a reflection from one of their faculty uh, focusing on various aspects of the story. You can link to the guide from our website, grace.org slash Christmas, and uh, get started right away. Maybe allow that to be the Advent reading around your dinner table. And as you read and reflect, allow yourself to enter into the wonder of the incarnation, to be overwhelmed once again by how much God loves you, to what lengths he would go to reach you and to meet you and to find you and to rescue you, to dwell deeply on God's faithful giving of himself to us and to reflect on the amazing hope and promise that it offers not only to us but to the world as well. Now, as I close today, I would like to light the candle of hope. And as I light the candle on this Advent wreath, all the venues are lighting their candle as well. And as we light the candle of hope, we remember the hope that God brings to us. But as we do it as well, I want to remind you of one more thing about the story of Zechariah. And it's this. It's Zechariah's name. Do you know what it is? His name means God remembers. God remembers. And that is so true. Zechariah means God remembers. God remembers his people. He remembers his plan. And he remembers you. He remembers you. If you've ever been in a season where you thought that God in his silence has forgotten, Zechariah reminds us that he hasn't. And that at times it seems that God is silent, he has not forgotten. He knows right where you are, and he knows all about your hopes and your longings. And someday your longings will be fulfilled if you place your hope in him for he is worthy of our hope because he sent the world a redeemer. And because of that, the world and we have a great hope indeed. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the reminder of the amazing gift of hope that you offer to us. Lord, help us to be people who, who hold our hope for us open-handedly, but who cling tightly, tightly to our hope in you. In Christ's name, amen.